Welcome to Elephant Dialogues. I'm your host, Bryson Alley. This week, I want to talk about two things, gun control and how to de-escalate a conversation that is growing heated. Now, the problem is I don't foresee this conversation spiraling out of control, partly because I really respect my guest today, Weston Cross, but also because podcasts are inherently a little more formal than a regular conversation, and we tend to be really careful about how we say things. So I'm going to split this into two parts. First, I'll look at some conversations I've found on YouTube, and I'll comment a little on what went wrong in those conversations and how we can do better. Then we'll jump to my conversation with Weston, where we talk about gun control and some possible solutions to the extreme violence we're facing today. Here we go. America has developed a culture of contempt, a habit of seeing people who disagree with us, not merely as incorrect or misguided, but as worthless. We cannot solve the challenges of our time unless we solve them together. It was an opportunity to practice empathy. There's a huge empathy deficit in our culture. We don't need to disagree less. We need to disagree better. Toward what our President Lincoln called the better angels of our nature. I think most, if not all of us, have experienced a conversation that quickly fell apart. Tensions rise, accusations are thrown, and suddenly we're yelling at and past each other rather than working together to find solutions, especially when we're dealing with really important topics or fighting for something we're passionate about. But there is a way to practice salvaging these conversations instead of allowing them to ruin our relationships. Most of these concepts today come from a book called Crucial Conversations, subtitled Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High. I highly recommend this book, Beyond the Political Applications, because we all have crucial conversations and we can all improve those skills. So the authors suggest that when conversations fall apart, it's often because we have lost either mutual respect or mutual purpose. So the goal is to restore those things. Let's look at an example of a conversation about guns that quickly fell apart. This is Ben Shapiro and Pierce Morgan in a 2013 CNN interview. So why am I off the rails, Mr. Shapiro? Uh, you know, honestly, Pierce, you've kind of been a bully on this issue because what you do, and I've seen it repeatedly on your show, I watch your show, um, and I've seen it repeatedly, what you tend to do is you tend to demonize people who differ from you politically by standing on the graves of the children of Sandy Hook, saying they don't seem to care enough about the dead kids. If they cared more about the dead kids, they would agree with you on policy. I think we can have a rational political conversation about balancing rights and risks and rewards of all of these different policies, but I don't think that what we need to do is demonize people on the other side as, as being unfeeling about, the, about what happened in How Sandy How dare Hook. you accuse me of standing on the graves of the children that died there? How dare you? I've seen you do it repeatedly, Pierce. Like I say, how dare you? Woof, right? It's pretty easy to see why this conversation wasn't as productive as one might have hoped. Ben started immediately by calling Pierce a bully and accusing him of standing on the graves of massacred children. Pierce replied with, how dare you? Both of these gentlemen are at fault for this conversation. At this point, these two have neither mutual respect or mutual purpose. As you might expect, the conversation is less than productive. So what might be done in such a situation? The first step is to hit pause on the conversation. If we start to realize that we have lost mutual respect or mutual purpose, we need to reestablish those things before we can move forward. A powerful way to do this is to apologize. Saying sorry is really difficult and really powerful for restoring mutual respect. And even though it might feel like it in the moment, the problem is rarely 100% the other person. So find your part in the escalation and apologize for it. This might be, I'm sorry, I think I've been trying to prove myself right, 
more than I've been trying to understand what you're saying. Or even, I'm sorry, I really don't want to argue with you, and I want to work together on this. And that takes us to the next step of restoring mutual purpose. Crucial Conversations uses a skill they call contrasting to achieve this. This is a don't slash do statement, where we describe what we don't want and what we do want. These statements do two things. The don't part addresses the other person's concerns that you don't respect them or that you have malicious intent. And the do part reminds them of your respect for them and clarifies your real purpose. Let's take this conversation between Ben and Pierce as an example. If Ben were using contrasting, he might say something like this. I'm sorry, I don't mean to suggest that you are using the deaths of these children for your own gain. I really respect your opinion and hope that we can work together to find solutions moving forward. By using contrasting to clarify what we don't want and what we do want, we can move forward with more respect and mutual purpose. Let's look at an example of this in action with another conversation about guns. This is Barack Obama at a PBS town hall in 2016. A gentleman from the audience asks him why he wants to take guns away from law-abiding citizens like himself. Now, I don't want you to focus on the specific policies he's talking about, or whether or not you like Obama. I'm not advocating either way here. We'll get into a lot of that with Weston in just another minute. But listen to how President Obama uses contrasting to clarify what he doesn't want and what he does want while attempting to restore mutual respect. Why then do you and Hillary want to control and restrict and limit gun manufacturers, gun owners, and the responsible use of guns and ammunition to the rest of us, the good guys, instead of holding the bad guys accountable for their actions? And Mr. President, if I may, I'd like to use Chicago, your hometown, a city that has some of the strictest gun laws in the nation, a city that for decades and still is under democratic control, a city that has an outrageous and even embarrassing murder rate Mm -hmm. as my first example. Why can't we round up these thugs, these drug dealers and gang members and hold them accountable for their actions or allow the good people in Chicago access to firearms to protect themselves? Good. All right. Well, let me, it's a multi-part question, so so let me just uh, say a couple things. First of all, uh, the notion that I, or Hillary, or Democrats, or whoever you want to choose, are hell-bent on taking away folks' guns is just not true. I'm about to leave office. There have been more guns sold since I've been president than just about any time in U.S. history. There are, there are enough guns for every man, woman, and child in this country. And at no point have I ever... Per- ever proposed confiscating guns from responsible gun owners. So it's just not true. What I have said is precisely what you suggested, which is why don't we treat this like every other thing that we use? We used to have really bad auto fatality rates. The auto fatality rate has actually dropped precipitously, drastically since I was a kid. Why is that? We decided we had seatbelt laws. We decided to have manufacturers put airbags on in place. We decided to crack down on drunk driving and texting. We decided to redesign roads so that they were less likely to have a car bank. We studied 
what is causing this, these fatalities using science and data and evidence. And then we slowly treated it like the public health problem it was, and it got reduced. So, sir, I, I just have to say respectfully that there is a way for us to have common sense gun laws. There is a way for us to make sure that lawful, responsible gun owners like yourself are able to use it for sporting, hunting, protecting yourself. But the only way we're going to do that is if we don't have a situation in which anything that is proposed is viewed as some tyrannical destruction of the Second Amendment. Again, whether or not you agree with him about the policies he's suggesting, I think it's interesting to see how he handled a potentially tense conversation. So remember, when your conversations start becoming tense, take a step back, apologize if necessary, and use contrasting to restore mutual respect and mutual purpose. Okay, now on to my conversation with Weston. Hope you enjoy. Uh, Well, welcome, Weston. I'm happy to have you here. I'm very happy to be here as well. Thank you. Uh, Will you tell me a little bit about your background and your expertise with guns? Uh, Yes. So, first and foremost, I come from small-town Texas, which automatically gives me some sort of uh, credence, right? (laughs) It does. Always grew up around guns. I mean, man, both my father and my stepfather had more than two dozen firearms. Mm. I was on a a rifle, 4-H rifle competition shooting team. As soon as, pretty much basically as soon as I was able to, Mm -hmm. uh, I got my concealed carry permit here in Utah. Uh, that was post-mission, started going to college and stuff. I got mm-hmm. that concealed carry permit, took the necessary class for that. Part of 2017, 2018, I worked at a, a gun store here in Orem. Okay. Uh, I worked sales doing that, and I learned a lot. I thought I knew a decent, decent amount about firearms beforehand, but after working there, I now understand that before I knew like Jack. Uh-huh. But now, now I know a decent amount. There's still so much more to learn. Well, good. I still understand, Jack, so I'm yeah. excited to have you here and <laughs> share your expertise. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about our goals and motivations because I feel like a lot of this discussion is uh, painted by the media or politicians or whoever it is. We paint the other side as stupid or evil without actually sitting down to talk to somebody about their motivations. So what does your perfect world look like? What is your kind of goal if we're talking about guns and safety and gun control. Oh, man. Uh, Is it everybody uh, has a gun? Is it nobody has a gun? (laughs) I honestly, I would absolutely positively love to live in a world where there was, there there just wasn't violence Mm -hmm. and that firearms were like existed, but for purely sporting purposes. Right. Like I gotta be honest, like even in a perfectly peaceful world, like they're still pretty fun. Like there's a lot of fun things. Even it's just, Skeet shooting, target uh-huh. shooting. But anyway, um, I I absolutely would love to live in a world where I didn't think it was necessary for a person to have the right to have a have a firearm for defense. Mm-hmm. I would love that so much. But I understand that it's it's just just not like that. Uh, there's there's too many things that can and do happen uh, in our world. Um, so I guess in a in a realistic setting. Uh, I'd like to see everybody who who is competent uh, has the ability to to have a firearm for defense and and, yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. So, I and and a lot a lot of what my beliefs come down to my my core principle of personal freedoms. 
first. Uh huh. I think both of those. I mean, I I said both. So if I'm understanding correctly, I kind of put those in two categories. It was the personal liberty and the need for defense. And I agree with both of those goals. So I'm with you there. I think I'll just mention that I it's not my goal to remove guns from everybody. And I think that's I don't think many people actually have that goal. I understand a few might, but everybody I've talked to who advocates for gun control, nobody's really saying we need to remove all guns from everybody. One of the problems that I see in this discussion, well, in many, many political discussions, but especially in this one, it's so politicized. And we get information and reports from both sides. Sometimes they're conflicting. Sometimes they're complete opposites. I mean, do more guns make us safer or do fewer guns make us safer? You can get information kind of on both sides of that. So I've seen a lot of people that have just said, you know what, it's too confusing. I'm going to stay out of it. Or you just see all of these conflicting reports and decide to not trust any of them and you just become more entrenched in your own opinion. So I guess my question is, Mm -hmm. where can we find good information about the facts of guns and violence and safety? Um, uh, good information. Well, you kind of have to go to your, your, your primary sources, the, mm-hmm. the, the FBI and the CDC, mm-hmm. uh, I find have some of the, the absolute best, just raw data. In fact, I, stuff I have here, yeah. uh, is, is mostly from like FBI, CDC. Okay. Um, they're not perfect. Uh, the FBI's information, um, they specifically say like, you know, for instance, there's like this many murders that we have on record, but we only have data like about this many murders. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, I want to say like 86%, I think, of the murders that they have on file, they have data about, you know, the people involved, weapons kind of circumstances and, whatnot, and the stuff. circumstances okay. and whatnot. So it's not perfect, but still it's, it's, it's pretty good okay. image. And then you, then it comes down to like talking to the people like on the ground and, and involved right. with, you know, the people who have been around guns, who use guns, uh, maybe police officers. They understand, you know, a little bit better about how firearms might be getting into certain people's hands and, and things like that. What would you say to the people who say uh, that those are biased sources, <laughs> that even oh, those can't be, like the, F- the government uh, or... The FBI and C- oh, uh, because the fear is, correct me if I'm wrong, but the government taking away guns... Mm-hmm. Because one of the reasons we have guns is to protect ourselves from the government, right? Yeah, yes. So how? What would you say to people who say <laughs> even the FBI might be biased? Is uh, there? I mean, is that the best it gets <laughs> as far as information? I wouldn't know what to say, just because <laughs> I mean, like, there is technically a possibility there, but you, you just if you can't trust the FBI numbers, I don't know where else mm-hmm. you're going to get that yeah. information. Nobody else has such a vast collection of of criminal data across America. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I trust them. If, if, I you just... <laughs> if you don't trust them, I, I don't know what to tell right. you. I have no um, idea what to tell you. You mentioned to the, the CDC, mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask you about that because uh, from what I've read, I don't know what's true and what's not. Again, going back to that problem, but my understanding is that the NRA has made it very difficult for the CDC to actually study gun violence. Is that true? I don't personally know the full depths of of that debacle. It's it's in kind of this little middle ground 
Um, because you, you probably haven't heard because the NRA talks on that point. They're like, the CDC has all the power to investigate all these things. Yeah. We just, you know, just the legislation that we lobbied was just to keep them from doing this certain thing. Mm-hmm. Well, from what I can tell, they have the power to do certain that, that they can investigate. Mm-hmm. But how to put this? Is it it's, a lack of funding? Because I've read uh, that I, as well. I, I, from what I can tell, they could do more. Okay. But they don't. But at the same time, I don't believe that they can do as much as many people would like them to do. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah. it's it's somewhere in between the two stories that are put out there by the NRA and the very anti-NRA folk. Right. Because that's been one of my um, ideas about this over the years is that it shouldn't be as hard as it is to get clear information. And if we could study it more clearly – we could actually take that data and and make decisions and yeah. I don't know. I mean, if, if there's that. if there's like a specific type of study that you've heard or you you have in mind that that the CDEC isn't able to do, mm-hmm. I, I I like to hear what hear what that is because I, I again I don't know the specifics, but if you knew if you know some more specifics than I do, I don't. Please enlighten me. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> there was no specifics. Good. Okay. If you're listening to this and you know specifics, let us know. <laughs> Um, I want to talk about the Constitution because that's such a big, mm-hmm. it's such a big player in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Second Amendment is really short. I'll just read it. Um, it says, "A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed." Mm-hmm. So a couple of things there that I wanted to ask you about: mm-hmm. shall not be infringed. What does that mean to you? Uh, it. it <laughs> Um, simply means that there shouldn't be anything stopping the the average citizen from from getting their firearms. There should be nothing that stands between them mm-hmm. and the ability to to have a firearm. Do we already have certain limits? I mean, I know you can't, for instance, own a machine gun. Am I? Is that correct? Uh, that's <laughs> that's. We can go down. It's, it's, a, it's a shallow <laughs> rabbit hole, but it is a rabbit hole. I, I can tell you about machine guns if you'd like. Well, my question is, are there <laughs> limits already to what we can purchase and what we can't? Oh, yes, there there are. Like cannons. Is there already a line, and, and how have we decided to draw that line between you can't own a cannon or a machine uh, gun, but you can? I mean, first of all, I, I'd say the, the, the laws regarding machine guns— uh, I feel like have been taken too far. Okay. I'd like to personally like to see them less regulated than they are, but not like, uh, uh, you know, just go to the store and pick it up sort right. of thing. I guess my question is, since we have I mean, the Second Amendment, how have we gotten this far? Yeah, it, it, it has evolved. Our understanding of it, yeah. Um, if you talk to stalwart Second Amendment guys, mm-hmm. like hardcore guys, they straight up believe that cannons, machine guns, all that stuff, uh, we, we should have, have, have the right to. it shall not be infringed, right? Yeah, shall not be infringed. Um, it just doesn't come up because, like, cannons are just, first of all, just <laughs> so incredibly expensive and right. unwieldy anyway. Like, right. even if anybody could get them, like, it'd be really hard. Right. Um, but that's kind of, I mean, a lot of people, I think, would say that that's kind of the idea, that if we made really dangerous weapons mm-hmm. even harder to access or purchase whether that's really expensive you know that's kind of the idea that nobody owns a cannon anymore we have we have put in 
infringements, you could even say. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, we've accepted that, yeah, probably no one should have an M1 Abrams tank. Mm -hmm. At the same time, an M1 Abrams tank, even in the idea of a modern-day militia, doesn't make sense. The idea of militias and and the the powers of the individuals of the nation to band together, Mm -hmm. to throw off tyranny or just foreign invaders, um, it comes down to arming the individual more than... It's 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 the Second Amendment isn't about a a a, a full on army. Right. It's about it's about the ability of the individual the individuals to arm themselves. Right. Uh, tanks, cannons do go a bit beyond that. Right. That's a good distinction to make. Um, and you mentioned the militia. I want that was the other part I wanted to ask about. What is a well regulated militia? Uh, first and foremost, I want to point out there's there's many many politicians who want to like go hardcore on the regulation regulation look. Regulated, like they're right there. It says all this stuff needs to be regulated. Mm-hmm. Well, English has changed a tiny, tiny bit in the last uh, what two hundred and seventy-five years ish. Yeah, I can't remember somewhere Something in that, like that. time range. <laughs> but a uh, regulated didn't mean like how we see today: bureaucratic red tape. Mm-hmm. Regulated meant well put together. Basically, in this context, it meant. Organized and sto- uh, supplied. That's the word. Okay. Supplied. So, like, okay. you know, they got their food stuff and their their sufficient ammo and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Do we have those today? Do we have relevant? Uh, they do not fully. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, no. Okay. We don't have those. Um, a lot of people try and say that the National Guard is what today's militias are. Original intent of the militias, it was supposed to be this this local thing. Yeah. Um, it was the the people of the town, the county, whatnot, uh, came together when needed and kind of disbanded when not. It wasn't... Uh, it didn't have the, the, the full-on ranks and things like a full mm-hmm. military thing. Right. It was just... The, the militia was made up of the local people. The, the average person was, for all intents and purposes, the militia. It wasn't meant to be um, a big standardized thing. So is it important that we've kind of lost that part? Uh, what do you mean? To me, it sounds like the Second Amendment provides for a well-regulated militia. And in that, it means arming or allowing the citizens to be able to purchase firearms. Yes. I but if we've forgot, if we've abandoned the, the well-regulated militia part and just said... You know, it's okay for civilians to buy firearms. Are we missing an important piece of this puzzle? Now, just, just because we don't pull the militias together anymore, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we shouldn't have the ability, basically the ability to. I mean, we we haven't needed to. The militias mm-hmm. weren't they weren't law enforcement. Like we right. had sheriffs. Right. Yeah, the sheriffs would call up the militia as like a posse or something if something was serious going down. Mm-hmm. They needed backup. They more or less kind of deputized the citizens for things, but you're you didn't have your militia patrolling down the street. Right. Um and I don't think that's just, what I'm advocating. Just because it's, you know, fallen out of regular practice. Mm-hmm. Uh doesn't mean that it it might not be needed at at some point. Right. I I, I think it's as it says it's important to the safety of a nation that that there is the ability for the militia to be there. Right. Um and that's again I'm for, wondering if 
Sorry, I cut you off. Again. No, 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 please, please, please. Um, go on. I'm wondering if a well-regulated militia would help the situation. I'm not advocating for you know abandoning it completely. I think. What if there was a more at the community level, a more organized uh, organization of those who had guns, of training, of those things that I imagine would be part of a local militia? Would that help? Uh, I mean, uh, possibly. I I think. I, I've actually thought of something like this before. Mm-hmm. I think that if there were more local militias organized, that would be great. Not so much with not as much emphasis on the gun part. I think mm-hmm. they should be trained in firearms. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that they would probably be more frequently used as like go-to volunteers in emergency oh, situations. Yeah. For community building. Such as like, you know, there's a lost kid out in the woods. Yeah. Well, let's go get the militia yeah. and go up this mountainside. We got a whole bunch of people mm-hmm. who are trained or there's an earthquake. And these people also have bare basic medical training. So at least they can stop the bleeding on these people coming yeah. underneath this building. Yeah. Um, I think that'd be great. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think that would, I think that would be fantastic. I, I also, I think the farm train should be part of it. Right. Do you think it would be a reasonable thing to say, if you own a gun, you need to be registered as part of, or you need to be a part of this community militia that receives training. Is that a reasonable requirement uh, for owning a firearm? I, I, I think no. Um, because, because the militias were, militias weren't, they are, they aren't registered, uh, federally or federally or, or even, well, I guess at different points, some were official state militias. Hmm. They were, the, the spirit of the militias was, it was just the the people. Like if something, if something came up, like there may have been key people that they Mm -hmm. called up you know, say, hey, uh, the Jeffersons and the M- McKinney's and whatever, uh-huh. like, y'all come down here, you know, we need some st- folks. But, hey, talk to your neighbors. Right. You know, get them too. Um, See, I think that's one of the, uh, I'm really just thinking about this now, but I think that might be one of the greatest benefits because so many, when we're talking about, you know, mass shooters, I think so many of them feel alone or they're loners in society I wonder if having a community like that where if you own a gun, you kind of have to have be part of this camaraderie and you have people watching out for you. I wonder if that would change anything. Uh, Again, just I will say I think in certain circumstances, um, some of these 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 mass shooters that that might help some of them. Mm -hmm. I think many of them are beyond that. Right. Their their problems go deeper than. Uh, uh, not not having friends to to, right. to count on. Um, there are many who who they had a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. I think that would be healthy, and that the would help with with some instances. Mm-hmm. But there would still be other people sure. that yeah. that would yeah. Interesting. When it comes to registration, though, basically, other than full on buybacks mm-hmm. and confiscation. An outline of guns, the biggest thing that the NRA and, and pro-Second Amendment folks are very, very much against is registration. Mm-hmm. Because once there is a registration, all it takes is, is someone to be in power and overstep their bounds or, or a bill to get passed, even if it gets overturned later, that all of a sudden that there's people going door to door. Right. 
you know, taking people's guns. Defeats the whole purpose. Yeah. Of, um, I've, I've wondered so, if with registration, because I agree, um, but I wonder, is it different if such a list was only kept at the community level, whether that's state or, you know, uh, with, with, with <laughs> very strong guardrails to make sure, you know, these are very isolated lists the federal government uh, that, can't access them, that. That is slightly better, but the, it's, the federal government isn't always necessarily, you know, the, the big bad guy mm-hmm. in, in, in gun situations. Like you might look at today, uh, generally speaking, the Trump administration, his government is, is pretty, you know, pro-gun stuff. But elsewhere, California, mm-hmm. let's say, like they, California could pass some laws or in some community or something, and it'd be very easy for them to just reach into that community and get a hold of that. Uh, I, I, so just in general, on any level, I, I don't like it. I mean, they're, what's kind of interesting is they're kind of ish is like, it's, it's, it's very weird, but there is kind of a registry of most firearm owners and whatnot. Uh, and that exists um, at, at the gun shop level. Right. When, when you buy a, f- a firearm, you have to go and you have, have to fill out this form called 4470. I think it's called 4470. And that has all of your name and your information uh-huh. in it, your address at the time of purchase and whatnot. And those gun stores, after they, they sell a gun, they have to hang on to those forms mm-hmm. forever. Right. Permanently until they go out of business. At which point... They hand over all those forms to the ATF. So the ATF has, I guess, a warehouse or something filled with hundreds of thousands probably of, of these, these forms. What is the ATF, sorry? Oh, uh, so essentially it's BATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Oh, okay. They're basically the major regulatory agency regarding firearms. Okay. And is that a federal organization? It is, it is federal. Okay. It is federal. Um, they, they pass judgment on the, the bump stock ban. Okay. You know, you wear the bump stock ban. Yeah. Basically the Trump administration gave something that was said, said, gave word to the ATF and the ATF now has this rule that, you know, bump stocks are illegal. Okay. They weren't before there was no law passed. Just the okay. ATF said, well, now we consider this thing an illegal device because it turns things into a machine gun. When a person in Utah wants to purchase a firearm, uh-huh. they come in, say, hey, I want that. So you take the gun off the wall, put down, great. Um, you have this form that they put all their personal information on, their, their uh, ID information on it, mm-hmm. and then you also put the gun information on it. Okay. Um, Is this the same process for any type of gun? Yes, other than uh, machine gun suppressor, okay. stuff like that. Right. that um, th- that's a little bit different. For for your standard stuff, right? Your ninety nine ninety eight percent of firearms uh-huh. in America go through this process. And Utah, again, I don't know hundred percent sir what you do in other states, but in Utah, you call the uh, the Bureau of Criminal Identification, and I believe that they're just a part of the Department of Public Safety, and they basically run the checks. Like they will first run a, a statewide check and make sure that they're good statewide. They haven't committed any state crimes. Why mm-hmm. not? There's nothing there. And then they will also uh, beam um, the NICS, I think is what's called. NICS. It's, and that's the uh, uh, background department with the FBI. Okay. 
And they will send back saying yay or nay. And uh, if occasionally there's stuff that has to be investigated. Uh, um, what kind know. of stuff does disqualify somebody from owning a gun if, if it comes up in their background check? Um, first of all, there's when uh, someone's filling out a form, mm-hmm. they answer questions like, you know, do you do this? Have you committed this type of crime? This and this and that. Um Right there on that form, if they answer wrong on a certain question, okay. uh, uh, for instance, a domestic violence. Okay. If they've ever committed a crime of domestic violence, um, they are disqualified from owning a firearm. Um, if they've committed uh, a felony in like the last 10 years, uh, certain kinds okay. of felonies, I can't remember all the questions. But it, it basically comes down to uh, drug use, uh, uh, certain levels of felonies. Um, and domestic violence. If they say yes to any of those questions, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, right. we can't sell to them. Um, but of course, you know, people lie. Right. Um, and that's more or less the purpose of, of doing these background checks. They basically, from what I can tell, check to see if, you know, all that stuff is right. If they've been honest on that. Yeah, if, they, okay. if, they, if they've been honest. There might be information in their databases on uh, mental stuff. Mm-hmm. That that may not have been in you know the report, or there may be a warrant out for their arrest or something mm-hmm. like that. That's that's you know not popping up. Um, I will say there is one nasty flaw in the system, okay, and that is that the states like what gets reported to the FBI mm-hmm. is up to the states as far as crimes, as far as crimes go. Okay. So stuff oftentimes blatantly just does not get reported or gets misreported okay. to the FBI's database. Gotcha. Um, so if we tightened that up, that'd be... I, I fully believe that that the background check system, yeah, needs to be tightened up. Okay. I don't know about making it universal okay. just yet, but um, but what absolutely it, needs to be tightened up. What? So what do you mean by not making it universal? So, uh, of course, a lot of folks call for universal background checks, uh-huh. which is that... All firearm purchases have to be uh, have to have a background check right. uh, run on them first. Now, right now, if you go to a gun store, all gun stores, um, you have to do a background check. Right. Now, there's something that a lot of folks like to call the gun show loophole. Um, they say you can go to a gun show, buy a, buy a gun, no no background check. That's that's both true and false. Okay, <laughs> um, it is greatly misunderstood uh-huh. as as with many things. Right. Like, you can't just go to a gun show and just point at a gun and buy no background check. Right. Gun shows, I mean, they're just like, you know, at a nerdy Comic-Con convention sort of thing. You go into <laughs> the vendor hall, there's a whole bunch of vendors that have booths. Uh-huh. And uh, at a gun show, all those booths or, or tables, usually, mm-hmm. um, the vast majority are are owned by people who, who, are, who are licensed gun dealers. And those... They have to do background checks. Okay, those are part of yes. gun shows. Yeah, gun shows. The vast, vast majority of guns at gun shows, you have to get background checks. So is that kind of an instant thing where they look it up on their laptop real quick, or do you it's, not walk out with a gun? Uh, I mean, it's the same process as as in a gun, as in a gun store. Okay, like as long as the background check, but usually got background checks like five minutes done. Okay, they're pretty quick. They're they're okay. usually pretty quick. Sometimes they require research. Mm-hmm. Um, in which case the person can't just take the gun. Right. You have to wait for that information to get back. But we had people who, like, you know, they were in in research, is what it was called, um, for like a week or two. 
And uh, a lot of times they were very frustrated because, again, the background check system isn't perfect. Right. If someone just um, has the same name as somebody else who has a criminal past, you can get screwed over. So very often, almost like nine times out of ten, if somebody was in research for a long time, it is because they had a very common sounding name. Uh, It sounds like gun checks are almost universal. Uh, no, no, well, I, I, I will get there. Okay, okay. I'll get there. Um, at the gun shows, um, so if they, they go to the dealers, they can get the information right then. Again, uh-huh. within five minutes, they can take the gun okay. most of the time. Okay. Now, two caveats. One is that sometimes, and this isn't even all gun shows, so I imagine a lot of gun shows don't allow this anymore, but there can be people who get tables who are just collectors, Okay. They don't have a license. They're just there to sell some of their extra guns and buy stuff from other people. Mm-hmm. And in those instances, that's another person-to-person sale, so there is no background check. Okay. Also, uh, a lot of people go to gun shows just with guns on their shoulders or or just in a box or in a, something, and they'll have like a, a tag on the gun around their neck or something saying, hey, selling this gun for this much. And basically, if you talk to that person, you say, hey, I want that gun. You can buy it's it. It's a person to person. Bam. It's, it's a person to person. All person to person sales. Now, this isn't universal because, you know, there's, there's a couple states who now require universal background checks. But anyway, the gun show loophole refers to that really fraction of people mm-hmm. who, who either are go, either have a, have a personal collection table or go to a personal collection table or walk around with their own gun or okay. buy from someone walking around right. with their own guns. That is very rare. Now, back in 20. Uh, 12, 2013, when, when mass shootings really started taking the spotlight after, after Sandy Hook, mm-hmm. um, everybody from President Obama all the way down kept citing this very false um, uh, statement that 40% of mm-hmm. all gun sales didn't go through a, a background check. Okay. Um, that is based on a terribly done study. Okay. Yes, technically the study said, yeah, 40% of gun sales. But that study involved like two to 300 people. Oh, okay. And if you know, if you've ever studied basic statistics, like 2,000 is like the minimum for like, you know, a solid base number. And they, and they were like talking, to, they just went up and, and I think they were just talking to people outside of a gun, sh- out of, outside of gun shows. Okay. And yeah, anyway, this is this is what I was talking about earlier. It was right? a terrible it's, study. Yeah, so hard to find good information. Uh, and thankfully, it seems even the most you know uh, um, pro gun control folk mm-hmm. don't cite that number as yeah, much anymore. I, heard that. I think it finally got around that we can't cite. This is a terrible <laughs> study. Yeah. What are we doing? But it was very upsetting at the time to see you know the president citing this this false thing. And I I think it's it's nowhere near that. The vast majority of, of purchases happen happen in in stores Mm -hmm. so you are if i understand correctly and maybe you can expand on this but you are against tightening that you think it's a good thing that uh neighbors can buy from each other and we want to preserve that i think that before we we let me explain something else sure sure. go ahead at at ready gunner we would fairly regularly have people come in who wanted to do a background check with us. Mm. But the way the system works is you just can't just do a background check for some random Joe on the street. Okay. Like we would have to take the firearm into the gun's official inventory Uh and do all kinds of paperwork basically so that we owned it. And then we could do a background check on it. 
and then sell it to the person. Oh, so they we, would they would bring guns to you. Yeah, they would bring guns. Well, they would bring guns in because they they had somebody that they wanted to sell a gun to. Okay, but they wanted to be safe. And they okay. want to do a background check. On the buyer. On, on the buyer. Okay. Which is, I think, pretty reasonable. If you just want to be a little bit safer. Right. You don't know the person. Yeah. It's reasonable. But the way the system is set up, it is incredibly expensive and costly. And it, it just isn't designed to do that. To, to run it for just anybody. Right. The stores, they're, they're, it's set up so they can do background checks based off guns in their inventory. Okay. So just some. So random you basically Joe. have to buy the gun. Yeah, from ba- the person. Basically, the process is we buy the gun mm-hmm. and then sell it to the other person, and and that's that's all. And anyway, I don't I don't know of any stores who are willing to do that. Mm. Uh, so it would anyway. I wonder it's about a very that convoluted system. It sounds if we could improve that system, it might be a good solution. Precisely. Okay. Yes. I could get um, that. I can't remember if it's Washington or Oregon that they, in the last few couple of years, um, instituted universal background checks. Okay, and that's what so, it involved. Yeah, I, I don't know how they do it exactly. I don't know if they have, go through gun stores and it goes in the inventory in or out. Okay. But the problem is, <laughs> it costs something like two to three hundred dollars. Okay, to do a background check. Interesting on on somebody. Uh, like to another person, right? Rather than you know just going to the gun store and buying a new one, mm-hmm. where background check is going to cost seven to ten dollars on a brand new right. gun. So I would first before universal background checks are, are forced, I would like to see what happens when we open up the system to inexpensively be able to run background checks on. On, on, on anybody, third party, on, on, on yeah, purchases. on another party okay. without it having to go through the inventory of the stores. Mm-hmm. I think that would be great, especially. I mean, it would, it would need to be inexpensive. Okay, so if that system could be improved, where it didn't cost so much, and individual sellers could go through a store to get a background check for their buyer, that might improve. The background check system in general, right? Yes. Okay. I, I I think so. Would it be reasonable to require sellers to go through a gun store like that if such a system were in place? Well, basically, well that that's basically right there. Universal background checks. Right. That's my question. Um, it's. <sighs> I'm personally not entirely against such a system. Okay. The problem is, is just that the U.S. government is so gosh dang bad at implementing <laughs> things and right. bureaucracy. That I I can't see them. They would they would put the cart before the horse. The reason mm-hmm. why I was saying let's you know make an inexpensive option for the voluntary first uh-huh. is because otherwise they just jump to that Washington Oregon solution and just charge three hundred bucks right. for somebody to do a background check and and they, they wouldn't care. Um, so we have to fix the system so before first. Um, right. But as far as making universal, I I'm technically not entirely against the idea. The problem is that it 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 creeps closer because because once you have those universal background checks, it becomes so much easier again to to put in that um um a, a registry right a full gun registry mm-hmm. of of all the new of all the guns being passed around. I if if Congress you know got this kind of stuff together and put a forth a proposal that basically said. Universal background checks. But as a part of the bill, here's this giant mechanism in place that 100% will stop a registry from being formed. 
And if there's any movement to form a registry, this thing goes into action instantly. Right. And universal background checks, you know, are no longer required. Right. Or something like that. Yeah. Um, that I would put a, my a, stamp of approval yeah, on. I like it. Because it's, it's not so much the universal background checks that is the problem. It's it's that what can be registry. done with that. Right. I think that's that'd be a good yeah. compromise we could. Yeah. But but yeah. yeah. One of the again this whole this whole deal is people people just want action. They just want to bam slap this thing down mm-hmm. and especially when it's people who have nothing to do with firearms, mm-hmm. they don't care. They just want control, some law to fix everything and they they don't care that innocent people get squashed. Mm. Uh, in, in the in the process, yeah. especially it's it's always you no know, when the laws are trying to get you know won't even make a big difference about the problem that they're concerned about. Um, you know, people right now are talking about climbing for universal background checks. Universal background checks would have pretty much zero effect on on mass shootings mm-hmm. because the vast majority of these mass shootings in the last little while they all legally bought their guns. Yeah, it's tough. I I do understand that people want to do something, especially I mean every time there's a mass shooting, people want to do something. They just and and a lot of people doesn't matter what it is, we just want to feel like we're trying something different, you know? And, and we're trying something instead of every time it's the same. We we talk about it for a few weeks and then it's gone. And, and then, I understand uh, the fear of of like you said squashing innocent people's rights. I also understand the the fear that innocent people are already paying a price and and dying. You, yes, so it's it's kind of point. we're caught between two things, right? And it's do we err on the side of safety or do we err on the side of liberty and what are the prices involved in yes. each, right? I'm curious about your other other ideas uh, that you have things. that we could um, do. I think for, first of all, when people talk about guns, they they talk about it as this just one giant orb uh-huh. of, of 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 a problem, right? And they they don't want to look at it as a number of different problems, right? Uh, the way I see our, our gun issues can more or less be broken down into three major components. Okay, when you're talking about gun specific crime, right, and gun specific death, basically I see three major things. Okay. We have uh, your 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 mass shootings or active shooter situations. Right. You have your your standard gun murders, mm-hmm. uh, some of which is gang related, some of which is just homicide, homicide, right. and then suicide. Right. I believe the majority of gun deaths are suicide. Suicides, right? I, I think you're right. Let's see. Uh, gun suicides in 2017, according to CDC, twenty three thousand eight hundred and fifty four. Gun murders were 14,542. So, like, anyway, a lot more. Not twice right. as many. Right. But but uh, significantly uh, more gun suicides than, than gun murders. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but but they, they the only way you can stop all those problems is, oh, just take away all the guns. Right. And um, something that, again, I, I don't think a lot of pro-gun guys uh, are, are willing to mention this, but if you do mass buybacks and outlaw guns, there will absolutely be a steep decrease in gun-specific violence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm willing to admit that, but at the cost of personal freedoms, mm-hmm. uh, the Second Amendment, 
uh, people's ability to for for self defense. Right. But that's the only way though that you can get rid of all those big gun numbers. Right. So you broke it down into the three yes. sections. Are they problems that we should be addressing differently? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. You're yeah. doing a great job of, of <laughs> telling you. me what I'm trying to say. Uh, yes, there are three. There are distinct problems that need to be addressed differently. Right. We're going to set aside mass shooters. Okay. Well, sorry. Before we completely set it aside, I need to point out that mass shooters are a fraction of gun deaths. Of, of, of gun of gun deaths. Right. Such a fraction. Um, AR-15s. You know the the gun that we're this, we're so scared of. According to the FBI, they have an estimated number of um of of gun homicides. Um, that they have data on is 10,982 okay. that, that they have estimated. Um, rifles were 403, and rifles being, you know, the, the AR-15s. Okay. 403. That's that's 3.67% mm-hmm. of all those gun homicides were from rifles. And right. that's not in, and that's not just AR-15s. That could be because they don't have a spe- specified between mm-hmm. semi-auto, assault-style right. rifles right, right, right. and whatnot. Um, it's just rifles. So that could be bolt action guns, mm-hmm. um, or, or any, anyway, knives were used in estimated 1591 murders. All right. Personal, what they call personal weapons, which is like people just fists, mm-hmm. feet, just beating people up until they're dead. Right. 696. That's, that's sig- still significantly more than people that were killed with rifles. Right. Um, and blunt objects, which are like bats, hammers, 467. Again, more people killed with clubs, hammers, and stuff mm-hmm. than were killed by rifles. Right. Well, let me yeah, ask you this. It sounds like we agreed that the three different types of mm-hmm. gun deaths needed different solutions. Yes. So one argument might be that, yes, semi-automatic rifles account for a very small percentage of the violence that we experience. But it's still enough that we should do something about it. Right, is my point, I think. Yes. Um, I I think that... And that we understand that yeah. the solutions that we implement might not solve all of the suicides or all of the But at the least it would do something towards... But it might, yeah. Yes, yes. Is that a valid argument? Yes, That that is that is absolutely okay. a valid argument. Um, if, if we get rid of all the AR-15s, that would stop some of them. People would still find other, other guns and things. But then we address that problem. Uh, Is that fair? Yeah. Uh, I think, but one of the biggest Mm -hmm. and simplest things that we can do to fight against these active shooters, mass shootings is to stop, I guess, stop putting so much emphasis on them. Mm -hmm. If you look at the, the backgrounds and the manifestos, of these psychos, they very frequently talk about each other. Right. Some of them have talked about, you know, trying to one up this other guy, right. or they learn from this person. And they're copycats, so they're looking for glory, that kind of thing. So how do we do that? How do we ignore these, or how do we not talk about them? That sounds- uh, unfortunately, that that kind of comes down to uh, uh, the mass media and uh-huh. the choices they make. Stuff that like you and I, like, and even legislators can't do much unless they pass a law saying don't talk about them right um and so they should be talked about it's just that they are given so much screen time talking about these events Mm -hmm. and they put the gosh dang pictures of these guys Mm. i hate it i hate it when mass media uh, fox nbc 
CNN, they all stinking do it. They take these psychos that did this event largely to bring attention to them and what their goals are, mm-hmm. and they slap their picture across the screen, right. whether they're dead or alive, right. you know, and they name them. Mm-hmm. Those guys, like, their they're manifestos, their goals, their names, their faces should just be tucked into archives that you got to go out of your way as a research, researchist, researcher, that's the word, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> as a researcher to find right. out, you know, about them. Mm-hmm. You know, all of America does not need to know the specifics because we are just shining a spotlight on them, which is what they want. Right. Uh, I mean, yes, yes, they 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 also want to want to kill these people, but as you could, like, nobody goes in and writes this big manifesto unless they they want it to be read. They want everybody to read it, right? And everybody to know their name and what they're doing. They need to be nameless and faceless. And there's a small contingent of people and there's small media outlets that they have a rule, both, you know, right wing. There's the, especially if you look at um, gun and really conservative news sites that are uh-huh. kind of small, a lot of them make a point of not naming not or showing the that. faces of those people. But there's starting to be another, uh, a number of, uh, of, of other folks that aren't just, you know, pro gun folks um, that, that do the same. And I can get I, behind that. I think, I mean, it'd be hard to do. Because then you're talking about controlling speech, yes. <laughs> which brings its own. I thing. mean, we we can't but, again. Le- we can't legislate that out. That right. Has but if to it was be, a policy at a news station level, okay. That that would have to be a a grassroots movement of everybody coming together, mm-hmm. left and right, right, coming to these news outlets saying, right, stop, stop showing that. their faces and names. You're doing part of what they yeah. want. Um, yeah, I could totally get behind that, especially if we increase our ability to research them by the CDC, for example. And so their information isn't lost or ignored. It's known by those who need to know about it and the researchers, like you said. Yeah, I, 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 I will absolutely admit that, that without an outright ban on guns, there's nothing we can do to, to, to stop mass shootings. I want to ask you entirely at least. Right. I've seen it said a lot that when people say there's nothing we can do, a lot of people will point to other countries and say they're doing something or the US is the only place where this really happens with this frequency. Mm-hmm. There are things we can do. What would you say to that? Uh that yes, there 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 are things we can do but because of who we are and what rights we have enshrouded, okay. We we frankly just can't Stop stuff entirely. Right. Um, at uniquely- the same time, yeah, some of this is, is going to be uniquely American unless we do full, full uh, confiscation buybacks. Even then, you're not getting rid of all it entirely, mm-hmm. entirely, because anyway, that's so a whole our other guns thing. just so woven into the DNA of America that we are different. We, we have, I, I think, we, yes, <laughs> I think we. We have to accept that we are different mm-hmm. and that there is always going to be a certain level of, of gun violence in America because simply because we have guns. Mm-hmm. It's it's just, yeah, it's because they're, they're there. Now, moving on a little bit from mass shootings on to just general uh-huh. gun homicides, uh, people talk about, you know, other nations, you know, don't have near levels of, of 
gun violence because they don't have the guns. We have the right. guns. People will commit murder with 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 what they got. Mm-hmm. And what I also know that America is not at the top of the list as far as homicides. Go. Oh no, no, We're, not even close. Yeah, I mean Russia has a a way higher homicide rate than than we do. Right. Um, but South America, Central and South America, Honduras, have horrific is, numbers. Yeah. Of, of of murders and, and gun violence. So uh, is it fair to say that just in mass shootings that this is a uniquely American thing that doesn't happen everywhere else, or is um, that false? I, I don't know if <laughs> I will say it's 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 true in that it's uh, among one of the few places where it's going to happen so okay. frequently. I I do I I do know that it happens in other places. I, again. I, I I don't have those specific numbers. Neither do I. Yeah. But um, I wouldn't call it strictly uniquely American. But it is. It's unfortunately part of our our our, our DNA. It's it's a it's a it's definitely in a an American problem that is here as long as we are the America that that we are. Backing up a little bit, touched on this and something else that she talked on before that I, I didn't get at everything. Yeah. Uh, as far as solutions, mm-hmm. one big solution it would just be uh, honestly uh, a better police presence and and investigative capacity. Okay, this is uh, so this is this is a kind of out there because it would require so much work. What I would love to see is the war on drugs, <laughs> in the war on drugs, and have police and all these resources and stuff stopped that are going into just drug-related mm. stuff so that we can put more men and resources investigating bigger crimes, murders, mm-hmm. um, and get you know labs processing evidence okay. and things like that. I'm with you. I think that's that's a, a good thing we can agree on. That ending, oh, First of all, I'm for ending the war on drugs as well. I think yeah. those oh. resources could much better be used elsewhere. So yeah. I'm with you. That I firmly believe would go a long way long way okay. in reducing our overall murder, not just gun stuff. What people don't want to admit is in general, America is just a little bit more violent. Yeah. I we think still it's, kill a lot, even without guns, we kill a lot of people. Yeah. It's, it's more about violence. People, mm-hmm. I, I don't like the idea that the folks in the gun violence and don't just admit that we have a violence have epidemic, a culture, not a problem. gun yeah. violence epidemic. Right. Um, Guns are used because they're there. Mm-hmm. We have them. We need to address our violence, the the core issue. And I want to ask you about that. How do we start to address the violence that is part of the American culture? That's Where do we a, even start? I think it starts uh, with education and... Education on what? Meaning? Oh, no, just, just in general education. Like like better have better schools. Okay. Investing uh, better, more in Better, more accessible, and- uh, secondary, and so on education as well as means of just pulling people out of poverty. The more but we can I, I lift think, people into yes, better I situations. Yes, people are lifted up through education yeah. and, and uh, certain measures of welfare. And as a libertarian, it's almost a dirty word to say that, like, <laughs> I, I, I believe in welfare. Uh, <laughs> I did want to ask, like, because this is a thought I've had. If we, yeah, it's an interesting question. If we invested more in free healthcare, for example, or free college, might that help things like uh, a, a violence I, problem? Uh, yeah. And I'm not a hard leftist, <laughs> Yeah, but it's I, I an know, interesting I know. question. I mean, tr- truthfully, truthfully, if we were able to get everybody 
quality and affordable healthcare and education, mm-hmm. yes. I will 100% say that I believe that that would leaps and bounds help help with violence. Right. Um, I guess what we're talking about is a utopia where everybody yes, has enough right. <laughs> to live and they are able to be educated and then there's yeah. no there, need there's, to resort to violence. <laughs> the question is, what, yeah, what are we willing there, to pay there to get there? There are things that we can do. Our, our violence could be solved with, with many of our other societal problems, basically. So if um, we could solve everything, we could solve everything. everything. Yes, That's, I know. <laughs> this has been great, man. I think we've talked about some, some things that we agree <laughs> all, on that we could— all, all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> it has. <laughs> but it's been fascinating for me, and I think you've brought up some really good points and some first steps that, that we could take together. I always end these episodes with something I call, I've got good news and I've got good news. <laughs> so okay. where we both just share something cool that's going on, whether it's in the world, in your own personal life, what you got going on? My girlfriend's cat got out last week, uh-huh. and it was... Terrible because it was, it's her, her favorite cat, which, by the way, saying the phrase favorite cat <laughs> means a lot of different things. It means that right. there's a lot of furry things in that house. Right. <laughs> um, but her favorite cat got out. And it's especially uh, even more sad because this guy's sick. He's going through kidney failure. Mm. He needs to eat special food. He needs yeah. to get uh, IVs and stay hydrated. And so, like, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, cats disappear and they show up months later. Uh-huh. Well, this guy, without this, special treatment, doesn't have months. Uh, I found him. Oh, good. Uh, outside her house on Friday. And she was so happy. And we got him. He ran away from me. She had to come home <laughs> and help me, help me get him because he came to her but not me. Uh, so anyway. That's great. We found Sherlock and we're so happy and he's alive <laughs> oh, and he's good. so skinny but we're getting him back to full health. Oh, good. For my good news, <laughs> if you know me, you know I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Uh, we've just heard some reports recently that Disney Plus is going to be including um, an Obi-Wan series, which we've wanted for a long time and Ewan McGregor is coming back to reprise that role as Obi-Wan. So I'm very excited about that. That is my good news for the, for this week. Hey, Bryson. Uh, my name is Jared. Uh, I've been listening to your Elephant Dialogues podcast. I just have had some thoughts that I've been thinking about a lot recently about listening and the importance of listening. Um, and I just think that a lot of today's problems in society come to us because people don't listen with the intent to understand, empathize, or learn from someone. I think that a lot of times people in today's society listen for the intent to find fault, criticize, to prove wrong, um, because they already have in their mind their own bias and what they believe is right. And so rather than listening to someone to learn from them or at least to understand their perspective, um, they listen just with the intent to to tear down, find all of the reasons why what the person is saying is false or wrong. Um, and then we jump to name calling. Um, but no one wants to listen to some, have someone listen to them and then pick out all the reasons why they're wrong. And yet when it comes to politics, I think that's what we do. Um, I think that our society and our political um, experience would be benefited um, by learning to listen for the intent to understand. Anyway, Bryson, thanks so much. I think your podcast is great. Keep it up, man. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Elephant Dialogues. And thanks again to Weston for coming on and tackling such a controversial topic in such a respectful way. If your conversations aren't going as smoothly, remember, 
take a step back, apologize, and then seek to reestablish mutual respect and mutual purpose. Use contrasting statements to emphasize your goals and that you want to work together. Doing this, you might just turn a disastrous conversation into a powerful connection. Thanks again. I'm Bryson Alley, and this is Elephant Dialogues. Subscribe, leave us a review, and join us in our experiment in better conversations. See you next week.